In his book, Affluenza, and it is a great read if you can get your hands on it, Clive Hamilton, he's not a Christian, he says that for the last 20 years, Australians have been on a huge luxury spending spree. What was once considered extravagant, people now see as normal. So when I was growing up, a barbecue was a hot plate with some bricks on each side. But now you can go to barbecues galore and fork out over $8,000 for the Turbo Elite Barbecue with flamethrower ignition. Look, I'd spend $8,000 for flamethrower ignition, wouldn't you? In 1998, the top-of-the-line TVs were $2,000. Now the the top-of-the-line LCDs are over $6,000. And if that's not enough, you can pick up a home cinema projector for up to ten grand. Instead of the $20 coffee percolator, which was a luxury when I was growing up, people spend up to $1,500 on a home espresso machine. And look, you can still get a fridge for $500, but why would you when the top of the line Maytag side-by-side stainless steel fridge is only $7,500? Now, it's not just that things are getting dearer. It's that people want luxury goods. Why is that? House and and Garden magazine says that by purchasing high-priced, high-profile things, people are not only treating themselves to the thrill of the big spend, and it is a thrill, isn't it? They are also creating an environment which makes them feel special. And I haven't mentioned cars, computers, sewing machines, sheds, clothes, holidays, the list goes on. It used to be the great Australian dream to own your own home, but now the great Australian dream is to have a home with a plasma TV and a Wii and a walk-in wardrobe, two bathrooms, a shed, a sewing room, a pool and an outdoor pizza oven. In fact, the CEO of Gucci says this, it's more than the goods. These things give people the opportunity to live the dream. Isn't it great to be Australian? I mean that we have everything we want. But are we any happier? Does all this stuff make our lives better? At the end of the day, what does it gain? That is the question that we're thinking about today as we again look at the book of Ecclesiastes. Last week, you might remember, we saw that the book of Ecclesiastes is written by King Solomon, a great king in the Old Testament with incredible wisdom. And King Solomon, we saw, is writing about life under the sun. That phrase, under the sun, comes up 29 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's talking about life in this world as we can observe it. Not life that we read about in our Bibles, but life as we observe, life under the sun. And observing life drove King Solomon to this conclusion. Have a look back at last week, chapter 1, verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Or as the King James or ESV puts it, vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Everything is vanity, futile. Life is short. This world doesn't make sense. It's meaningless. 
That was last week. This week we begin a journey with King Solomon to try and find something in life that is not vanity. This week we join King Solomon in a search to try and find something worth living for. And stop one on that journey is pleasure, happiness. Things haven't changed a lot in the two and a half thousand years since Ecclesiastes was written because a recent survey, people were asked, name one thing you want out of life more than anything else and the top answer was happiness. The first thing King Solomon investigates is happiness. Chapter 2, verse 1. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. King Solomon isn't stupid, though. He knows that living for pleasure isn't the answer. Verse 2, laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? But he's going to give it a go anyway. You can't really criticise something until you give it a test drive, and that's what he does. He tries it on verse 3. I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. And so where do you start? With a house, of course, verse 4. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. When we talk about King Solomon building houses, we're not talking about some uh, cheap spec home or a half-hearted building project. If you had a chance to read... Uh, 1 Kings during the week, which I suggested last week, you will have read that it took King Solomon 13 years to build his house. Not because he was one of these owner-builder types who does it half-time and it takes their whole lifetime, but because it was huge. 1 Kings 7 says, It was roofed with cedar above the beams that rested on the columns, 45 beams, 15 to a row. This is bigger than Greg Bennett's extension. All these structures from the outside to the great courtyard and from the foundation to the eaves were made of blocks of high-grade stone cut to size and trimmed with a saw on their inner and outer faces. And on it goes for half a chapter. What do you do when you finish building your house? You landscape it, of course. Verse 4. I understood, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. This sounds like a retirement home at Mudgee. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. He's even putting the dripper system in. Does this sound like hard work to you rather than pleasure? Sounds great to me. I love gardening. But remember that King Solomon is doing this for his enjoyment and pleasure. So it's no surprise that he has some slaves to help him. Verse 7, I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. The house is just how he's designed it. The gardens are finished. It's all full up. What is there left to do? Sit back and enjoy it all. Verse 8, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers, kind of the equivalent of a big stereo, and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. Here it just says a harem, doesn't go into details, but in 1 Kings 11 we're told that King Solomon has 700 wives and 300 
concubines. He has everything, mansion, vineyard, gardens, money, his own personal rock band to sing those 1,005 songs that we heard about last week, sex whenever he wants it. Doesn't get any better than this. Verse 10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward for all my labour. And yet when it is all finished, what is his conclusion? Verse 11. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Notice he's not saying that it wasn't fun. It was great fun, verse 10. I denied myself nothing my heart desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. So this is the kind of stuff people enjoy doing. Take a browse down at the newsagent and what are the sections of magazines they have? Homes, gardens, music, sex, money. If King Solomon was female, he might have added craft and fashion to his list of achievements. He's not saying it wasn't fun, but King Solomon isn't out just to enjoy himself. He's out to find something with purpose and meaning. And so he asks himself the question, what has all this achieved? All this stuff that he's got, what's the point? Verse 11, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. The journey may be fun, but in some ways the worst thing that you can do is arrive. Then there's another problem, the same problem that we saw last week in chapter 1. You can amass all this stuff for yourself then you die, and it all goes to someone else. It's almost as if to enjoy life, you have to put death out of your head and not think about it. But it doesn't matter how clever you are, it doesn't matter how wise you are, it doesn't matter how young you are, the older you get, the closer death comes, and everyone has to face it one day. Verse 18. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who will knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool? Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labour under the sun. This is the most expensive house in the world. It's in Mumbai. It is valued at over $1 billion. Looks pretty ugly to me. But it has a gym, has a dance studio, it has a swimming pool, it has a 50-seater cinema, three helipads. That's the ballroom. It's owned by Mukesh Ambani. He's a modern-day King Solomon, if ever there was one. He even owns his own cricket team, the Mumbai Indians in the IPL. But get this, his family has been in a five-year legal battle 
him and his brother over the father's inheritance. And the fight has gone public. Mukesh said something about his brother in the New York Times and his brother is suing him for defamation. And their mother is trying to stop the fighting and their father, who amassed the fortune, he has no say in the matter because he's dead. And that is exactly what King Solomon is despairing over, amassing a fortune, but when you die, you have no control over what the people who get it will do with it. That's exactly what happened to King Solomon after he died. Rehoboam and Jeroboam fought and his kingdom split. In fact, King Solomon tried to influence that before he died. He tried to kill Jeroboam, but it didn't work. Verse 18. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. You don't have to wait till you die for the problems to start, though. There's enough to worry about while you're still alive. Verse 22. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labours under the sun? All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This, too, is meaningless. To put it simply, the more you build and buy and own and have responsibility for, the harder it is to sleep at night. Glenn, my brother, bought some stocks in Rio Tinto, I was just finding out this week, when they were very low and the idea is they were going to soar and they were going very well for two weeks but then he said it was surprised just how it consumed his thinking. Even though they were going well, he couldn't help look at the news to see how the Rio Tinto stocks were going. So in the end, he sold them to avoid the worry after two weeks. And the bigger the amount of money that you're dealing with, the more you worry. The bigger the vineyard, the more you worry. The more herds and flocks you have, the more there is to worry about. The bigger the house extension, the more decisions there are to make, the more you worry. The higher you are up at work, the bigger your responsibility, the more there is at stake, the more people under you, the more you worry. And when you step back and look at it all, what does it achieve? In this book, Clive Hamilton talks about how good it is to own your own home, how good it is to surround yourself with nice things, how good it is to save for your retirement. He's not a Christian, but listen to what he says then. Yes, we are lucky that in a rich country such as Australia, many of us can do these things. But most people reach a point in their lives some at 18 and some at 88 when they ask, work, buy, consume, die. Is that all there is? Work, buy, consume, die. And it's so deceptive. Listen to this. A Sydney merchant banker who worked very long hours was persuaded by his wife to take a day off work to spend some time with his teenage son David. David pined for his dad's attention, but he was always too busy. Nevertheless, the banker took a day off and they spent a magical day sailing. Although never repeated, David stored it in his memory as the wonderful day he spent alone with his father. A few years later, the merchant banker died suddenly of a heart attack. And David, now in his 20s, 
found his father's work diaries when going through his things. He opened up one to the date when they went sailing. His father had written, complete waste of a day. That's the deception. You don't even know that you're doing it. So what do we do? Do we sell up everything, move to Nimbin, and become a hippie? Let's go. No, King Solomon gives us his conclusion in verse 24. Ecclesiastes 2.24. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? King Solomon doesn't say that pleasure is wrong. In fact, he says, as far as life under the sun goes, enjoy life and accept the good times that you have as a gift from God. Life under the sun is short. It doesn't make sense. So the best you can do is take it one day at a time and accept the good things you receive as a gift. See, in the book of Ecclesiastes, knowing that life is short can lead you one of two ways. You can become frantic, manic, trying to fit as much into this short life before you die as you can. Or you can relax. Enjoy each day one at a time, as a gift from God, and not worry about it. That first way is the language of Ecclesiastes 2. I built houses, I made gardens, I bought slaves, I owned, I acquired, I became great, and nothing was gained under the sun. And that is the way we get pushed our whole life. Get educated, get a good job, buy a house, get some qualifications, get more secure, get your loan paid off early, get your kids educated, get ready for retirement. You're on the treadmill, but where do you get off? It seems as if the only way to get off the treadmill is to die. But there's a better way. Ecclesiastes says a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. That's life under the sun. Turn with me, though, to Luke chapter 12, where we hear from one wiser than King Solomon. Luke chapter 12. In Luke 12, it seems that Jesus has just read Ecclesiastes 2. The things that he says here are almost straight out of Ecclesiastes from what we've just been looking at. Luke 12, it starts with the rich ruler. We're going to look at that, the rich guy with the barns. We're going to look at that in a couple of weeks when we think about money. But here Jesus, in verse 22 of Luke 12, is talking about life and work and worry and gain. Let's pick it up in Luke 12, 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes, Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, 
Why do you worry about the rest? Jesus is saying, don't worry about life. God has things under control. What a relief. The pressure is off. Verse 27. Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, the great King Solomon who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. You see, there's a, there's a shift here, and Jesus is now not viewing life under the sun. He is viewing life in the light of eternity. And so he goes on in verse 32, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Jesus doesn't just offer some advice on life under the sun. Jesus offers eternal life. Jesus is the one in whom we find wisdom and meaning and happiness. And so Jesus takes it from getting stuff for yourself to giving stuff away for the sake of others. Jesus takes it from worrying about this life to investing in eternal life. Jesus takes us from enjoying life now to enjoying eternal life now and in the future with God. Is your life work, buy, consume, die? Don't waste your life on something so small as that. And look, we might know in our heads that life is only found in knowing Jesus, so how can we live like Ecclesiastes too? We deny ourselves nothing our eyes desire. We refuse our hearts no pleasure. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. When was the last time you said no to yourself? When was the last time you denied yourself anything? Jesus is calling you to live for him. You might have the big house, the two-car garage, the espresso machine, the best fridge, the plasma TV. What has it cost you? I was feeling almost a hypocrite writing this talk this week in my study, surrounded by slot car set and iPhone and all kinds of gadgets. But the problem's not with the gadgets. The problem is in my heart. Is my identity in Jesus... Or is my identity in what I do and what I buy and what I own? These are words that I need to hear. These are words that you need to hear. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself 
take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Let's pray. Father, we too easily buy the lie that we're sold at TV and by all the voices around us that the things around us are what matter. Please forgive us, Father, for when we put our identity in those things and not in Jesus. Please forgive us for when we amass things for ourselves instead of giving things away. And Father, we pray that by your Spirit, you might free us from this slavery that we might give our lives to serving Jesus. And Father, thank you that whatever we give up for him, we gain in eternity. Thank you for the freedom that brings. Thank you for the purpose. And thank you for the security that we have through Jesus. Please help us to live our lives for him. Amen.